is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the fifth part of uh, this month or this sixth week. Uh, Tinkerman number eight. This is, I think, probably the the final part of, of what has been, I think, pretty interesting conversation so far. Particularly looking into midfield, looking at Ruben Loftus Cheek, a little bit on Timo Werner. Um, yeah, just some some very interesting things that have been going on at Chelsea over the past couple of weeks. Now, usually the final part of the show is the Tinker Men 10, where we have 10 quick fire-ish questions uh, to go through to close up the show. However, I have been reliably informed by my co-host that he is pivoting away from that and he has something a little bit special planned for me, which at the moment I have absolutely, well, yeah, I have absolutely no idea about at all. So, uh, Yaz, I'm going to give it to you, take away... You know, do your worst. Let's see how this goes. Yeah, so, I mean, live podcasting. Joe's about to see this the same time everyone else does. Uh, I'm going to WhatsApp to him now. I just saw this little challenge on, on, on Twitter, I think it was, and it was like history of football, and it was it was push a button to change a piece of history. So, usually Tinkerman 10 is 10 questions, question and answer, opinion, option, multiple choice, everything like that. So, I have right now sent a Tinkerman 10 choices, 10 buttons, all coloured buttons, that you can push to change one piece of history. And I'm going to let you deliberate on these as much as you need to out loud to, to get to the right conclusion. Uh, but you're only allowed to choose one. So I'm going to list them now. So you're only reading them now. So everyone else kind of sees it. So, so you've got the blue button. You can push the blue button. And it changes... John Terry scoring his penalty in Moscow. So that's the blue button. You've got the yellow button, which is signing Sergio Aguero in 2009. Likely leads to not signing Torres in 2011. There's a lot of cascading effects there. There's definitely no Aguero for Manchester City, etc. You've got the green button, which is also 2009, except this time Iniesta's shot goes over the bar. So your favourite Michael Essien's goal is down in folklore is getting us through against that Barcelona side and then there's the potential uh, eventualities to think about about later in that competition in the final in 2009 Pep joins us in the summer of 2012 or 2013 after Barca pre-Bayern we apparently approached Pep six or seven times it was one of Abramovich's real real passions that he wanted to get Pep in um, and it was the, the biggest chance we ever had was before he went to Bayern, I believe. So 2012, what squad is he working with there? What players is he taking on? What players is he going to replace? That's that's one to maybe think about. Maybe we see the dominance that City have now, but in 2012, straight after that Champions League win. Purple button. Mourinho's second spell. The club never sell De Bruyne, Salah and Lukaku in that second Mourinho spell. So then we don't need to go into how different City and Liverpool look right now, considering that. The red button. Luis Garcia's inverted commas goal never goes in in 2005. It never gets given. It never went in, in the, anyway, but it doesn't get given. What happens in that semi-final? How does that change the legacy of Mourinho? How does that change Chelsea's attacking the Champions League moving forward? Orange button. The club don't buy Lukaku a second time. So everything up until this summer is as it was. But this season could look very different. The black button. Claudio Ranieri doesn't tinker his way to defeat against Monaco in 2004. Could be an early Champions League win. Could be no Mourinho, could lose to Mourinho anyway in the final. Who knows? 
Brown button, Chelsea keep a clean sheet in the Bernabeu last week. Everything up until that point is as it was, but that changes massively. And the pink button, the last button, number 10, I felt it was topical, especially as someone who watched them come through Cobham as, as much as you did and, and what might have been, considering the minutes that has been logged in comparison to Mount and Kovacic, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, never as an injury in his entire career, coming through uh, under Mourinho, in 2016, I think was his first appearance on the Mourinho. Moving off to Sheik never has an injury. So that's your 10 options. Push one button and change the course of history. So what ones are interesting you first? What ones do you need to deliberate over? This is this is insanely hard. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to go through them. Um, John Terry, the penalty in Moscow... I think that's an early top five contender. Aguero signing is a top five contender. Iniesta's shot is a top five contender. I'm not as enamoured by Pep as other people, so I'm going to swerve on Pep. I think the most impactful one just, is... Just, the, before you, just before you swerve, we don't talk about the gap right now at all. We don't see four, four leagues in five years going to Manchester... But we never win a European Cup. Well, we do because he joined after it. Ah, uh, it okay. was it was after the Torres, 2012 or 13 summer. So we win 2012, and then get Pep. Yeah, I'm still I'm still not there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I think the next one, the De Bruyne, Salah, Lukaku one. I think that might be the most impactful in terms of in terms of what it would do to, to history. That that is the. Uh, you know the 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 alternative, the multiverse timeline. You know the the best. I can't remember what the term is now. It's it's so long ago since I saw Loki. Um, that might be the most impactful. Luis Garcia's goal. I can give and take. I think again. Yeah, the club don't buy Lukaku. I mean that that's a really strong contender for what for what what that would mean from a modern standpoint. Um, Ranieri. Yeah, the tinkering against Monaco, you know, for those of you who are who are too young to remember, but uh, it would be like the equivalent of Tuchel bringing on, um, I suppose, Lukaku, what was it, a right back? Did he bring Jimmy Floyd House So Lukaku being a left footer would be a left back, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, bringing on Lukaku and putting him at left back. Um, that's probably the... the and it's, it's funny, but it's funny as well. I remember that year, Didier Deschamps at Monaco with Fernando Morientes and Ludovic Julie and Jerome Rotten. Uh, it was a really good Monaco team that we lost to, but we were every bit as good. And that Monaco team went and got absolutely trounced by Mourinho's Porto with Deco and Manish and Dele and Carvalho and Ferreira. Deschamps, I remember, I remember the coverage at the time. Mourinho was very much a bright young thing in Europe because of knocking out... Uh, Fergie at Old Trafford and everything like that. But Deschamps winning that semi-final and then going to that final, he was seen as as comparable. So I just wonder if, if Ranieri beats Mourinho in that final, what that does. Maybe we lose in any way and it doesn't change much. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, and I think the implications that, that Chelsea maybe don't sign Mourinho and then kind of the identity that Mourinho kind of cultivated in Chelsea over like the next five years that has kind of lasted for pretty much ever. You know, it's it's all these sort of knock-on. It's like the butterfly effect, isn't it, of, of these sort of decisions here. Um, Chelsea keeping a clean sheet in the Bernabeu. 
I mean, from a recency bias standpoint, that one obviously means a lot because I think we deserve to we deserve to go through certainly on the strength of the second leg, uh, had we not shot ourselves in the foot um, in in the first leg, um, and then tugging at the heartstrings here. So yes, yes, is correct. I uh, I am a long term Ruben Loftus Cheek uh, truther. I I felt certainly when he was coming through the academy that you know very rarely had we produced a player who had his combination of traits. Um, I felt that he should have played more. I remember, you know, putting a stat out that in his first three seasons at Chelsea, when becoming part of the first team squad, he'd only played 1,200 minutes of football in three seasons. So 400 minutes a season, which is, you know, barely, barely anything at all, less than, less than, you know, four games or four to five games a season. Um, had he not had the the injuries he had, and again, I'm assuming, you know, he had a lot of injuries growing up as well. You know, he had, I think he had Oscar Slatters, he had an enormous growth spurt. I don't think he's ever really kind of got over that. So having him at his absolute best, you know, injury three is is certainly an interesting prospect. Um, this is really tough. Uh, I'm going to try and narrow it down to a big three. My big three, I think, are, I'm going to go with Iniesta's shot going over the bar as one of them. And the reason I'm going to say that is because I think JT scoring the penalty in Moscow would have been incredible. But that Gus Hiddink uh, 2009 Chelsea team, I think personally is the best Chelsea team that has ever been put together. They were absolutely phenomenal. They had a group of world-class players in every position at their absolute peak. We had Michael Essien on fire. John Obi Mikel was incredible. Balak, uh, obviously JT, Cavalli. I mean, you, you go through that team of players, Drogba, you know, Lampard. It's it's a who's who of Chelsea royalty at their very best. And I think they were playing under a manager who, who realised that you didn't need a tactical genius or some sort of, you know, you, you weren't coming in with philosophies. You were just coming in to man-manage a spectacular squad of players. Um that performance in the first leg in, in, in the Camp Nou, I think, you know, I've got a friend from university who is a, a, a Barcelona fan by birth. You know, he's he's been brought up here, but his whole family is from the region. You know, his tells me that his family, his uncles, his grandparents, etc. talk about that team as being the, the hardest team, the hardest game that uh, Barcelona have ever played against. We went to the Camp Nou and basically just, you know, took the the best footballing side maybe that has been produced and just result, you know, kept them basically passing the ball left to right. It was such a great defensive masterclass. Still had opportunities to win the game. Second leg, I always kind of feel that the result dampens the fact that Michael Essien scored a 35-yard volley on his wrong foot in off the crossbar. Again, one of the best best pure goals at Stamford Bridge has kind of been diminished a bit because of obviously the, the result of that game as well. And it, it would have really, I think, cemented Essien's um, you know, he's got a legacy at Chelsea, so I think it would have cemented that even further. So I think that one, because I think that, that was the, the Chelsea team that deserved to win the trophy the most. And probably for me, for that group of players would have meant the most, given that it was everybody pretty much at the peak of their powers. Um, second one in the big three. Also, in wider football implications of that, people that was Guardiola's first season, I think, or yeah. second season. But that was his first Champions League with that messy team and then it, that led to them getting it two years later again um, at Wembley against United. That was a that was a real kickstart of Guardiola's career. So yeah. in, in one way, how the Monaco one would potentially change Mourinho moving forward, um, Chelsea getting to the Champions League final over Barcelona and facing Manchester United... Uh, 
who knows the implications that has on on Guardiola because Guardiola coming in and just becoming a world-class Champions League winning coach within minutes it felt like um, kind of told his legend the same way that Mourinho's Porto win um, did as well and just for people listening who aren't 100% of that that, that Chelsea team was Balak, Essien, Lampard, Drogba, Anelka, Terry, um, Cole, Czech, all in absolute prime years. Um, so yeah, it was it was, it was, uh, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, second, yeah, it, it has to be the De Bruyne, Salah, Lukaku one. Um, and the reason I say that is I think in terms of modern football, the biggest butterfly effect that that would have. Um, I think what Kevin De Bruyne means to Manchester City, what he has meant, the the just the level of player that he he went on to become. Um, he is the face of their their team. He has been, I think, for a while. You know, the number of of you know goal involvements, goals assists he gets every season, the quality of his passing, his distribution, the the fact that I think he's a lot better athlete than what people give him credit for as well. Um, I was very disappointed when, when he left Chelsea. I certainly felt that there was a player there, um, particularly in sort of the the context of, of kind of Oscar being chosen because he was a bit more of a workhorse over kind of more creative players. Had Mourinho not had that had that say and had De Bruyne maybe been playing for a different manager or been treated in a slightly better manner, you know, you've, you've secured one of the best players in the world and has been for a number of years for, I think we paid about £7 million for him at the time. Um which is, is is insane, and then you know you, you kind of pivot to Mohamed Salah, what he has become, what he has represented for Liverpool's renaissance. Almost feels like it has been, yes, it's been fueled by by Jurgen Klopp and his you know kind of I suppose insane brand of heavy metal football. But take away Mohamed Salah scoring one billion goals a season and and just being this super threatening, fantastic finisher, this elite wide forward almost kind of creating a, a kind of new style of, of forward play, you know, with with Firmino and, and and Jota and others being a little bit more withdrawn, having two more kind of goal-scoring threats playing wider positions. Um, having him at the club and actually thinking about where he went to in terms of his career, in terms of his performances, having him playing on the right-hand side with Diego Costa down the middle and Eden Hazard on the left would have been, I think, an incredibly exciting prospect to, to watch and, and to see how that would have actually functioned. Um, but both of those players, I think in particular, what they have gone on to represent and almost almost acted as sort of the catalyst for the for the the you know the, certainly the, the the renaissance of Liverpool under Jurgen Klopp has largely been spearheaded by how good Mohamed Salah has been. But on the on the converse you have I think Kevin De Bruyne really has been sort of the the, the mainstay, the, the keystone, the, the real kind of, I suppose, the 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 quality upon which City's, you know, multiple title wins and, and how good they've gone to become. Um, so I think from, you know, it's not a trophy, it's not an impactful moment, but I think having them still at the club um, would be, you know, obviously hugely more beneficial than them being at City and Liverpool. And, you know, Lukaku, I think I can give and take in terms of, in terms of being him being here, had he remained and, and whatever happened, maybe he might have gone on to become a slightly better player. Who really knows? But I think the fact that you have let go uh, Kevin De Bruyne and, and Mohamed Salah and they have both gone on to become what they've become elsewhere and kind of how that has shaped the landscape of not just British football, but European football. 
Um, those that's probably like the biggest sliding doors moment I think here. So that that would be my second. I think even like you say, it kind of alluded to. Even if Salah stays a, a bench option for us, the fact that he doesn't go and become one of the best goal scorers in the Premier League history for a direct rival is just fascinating to me. Absolutely, yeah. And I always think about you know people certainly. I would have loved to have seen, you know, Ayan Robin at his peak play with Eden Hazard at his peak just to see how how exciting that would have been. Mohamed Salah probably would have given you the closest thing to that as a workable solution. Um, certainly with Diego Costa up front, that that would have been about as good a front three as Chelsea could have could have produced in a long period of time. Put Kevin De Bruyne behind them, you know, with an Emmanuel Matic and I don't know, Kante-esque midfield. I mean, that that's a really, really good front six. Um, and yeah, it, it's one of those that I think, yeah, you, you'll always look back on Sure, you know, people always say, yeah, you know, but we've, we've won loads of trophies since and this, that, the other, and that, that's absolutely fine. Um, but we've also given to, uh, as you say, direct rivals, two rivals who at the moment, I think, are level above us in terms of consistency and in terms of that piece of doing it across a whole season. Um, you've given them two of their best players and it wasn't really, um, you know, we certainly didn't make that much money off of it when it came to came to that as well. It's not like we've invested that money wisely or, you know, we got £150 million for one of them. We've literally let them go for pittance and they have become what they've become. Um, third and final one, which I'm going to narrow down here as well. Um, oh, this is tricky. I am going to say, actually... In a very similar, in a very similar reign. Oh, I don't know actually. I'm I'm torn between Aguero and uh, not buying Lukaku. <laughs> wow. They're obviously, they're obviously very, very different reasons. Um, Aguero. I think Aguero has been for me. He's been a top three Premier League centre forward. He might be in the conversation for being the absolute out and out best. Um, when you talk about the kind of forward that I think maybe Chelsea would have wanted, he's a little bit more a Nelkery than, than a Drogba Costa kind of figure. But if you wanted to transition to that style of football, and that was sort of a goal, you know, we always heard this this quote that got you know uh, attributed to Ramwich, which I don't think he ever really said, but you know, he wanted you know Barcelona in blue was was the the thing that you saw in the media. I think Aguero would have been a lot closer to, to producing that as well uh, than some of the forwards that we'd signed. Um, but again, we're talking but going about... Back, but, but going back to your rationale from one of the earlier ones, you don't know about 2012 European Cup with Aguero. We might have one more with him. <laughs> yeah, 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 to be honest. And again, I think De Bruyne and Salah became the faces for two of the most dominant Liverpool and City sides ever. But I think it was Aguero that kick-started that yeah. revolution for City in the first place. Yeah, he was he was deciding that I think closed the gap to us in terms of the, the quality and the calibre of player that they could attract and sort of the squad that they were sort of heading into. And I also think that he was a large reason as to why they, they pulled away from us in the end when he had the quality of player behind him in the service. Um, you know, this, this guy, he just scored, you know, goals and, you know, when you think about the difficulties that we've had as a, as a football club historically, in terms of trying to find a centre forward that can that can hit twenty goals a season, I'm not talking about you know a a Salah or a Harry Kane level 30, 40 goals, whatever it might be, but trying to find a, a forward that can hit twenty goals a season. Um, I think it's Anelka, Drogba, and Costa in the you know in the Abramovich era. They're the only three from memory that I think have hit twenty league goals for us. Um, you know when you've 
chucked a ton of money at Lukaku, you've chucked a ton of money at Morata, you've chucked money uh, around elsewhere. Um, having Aguero for, I don't know what it was, 10 years at City or whatever, at, at the absolute highest level, but even being able to pair him with Drogba if you really wanted to, having them as a as a pair, you know, that classic little and large strike partnership under under uh, Ancelotti, you know, when he was playing a little bit more of a diamond or playing with an Elka off of Drogba, that, that would have been really, really fascinating to see. And again, we're talking about a a sliding doors moment where, you know, for, for those of you who are, again, are sort of younger and, and maybe not as, as tuned into this as Yaz and I, but Chelsea were really heavily linked with Aguero. Um, you know, there were, there were lots of anecdotal um, sort of points around the club that uh, managers and certain people at the time, you know, thought that Aguero was too small, that he didn't have the physicality to play in the Premier well, League. There's, there's, there's one story that John Terry was really influential at the time and played against him and was like, yeah, no, I don't think he's any good. And they just they just took his word for it. So basically, JT ruined Aguero for us. <laughs> well, that's one story, yeah. yeah. All right, guys, Editor Jake here. It's time for some ads. Thanks to our sponsors. All right, our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because, well, it's hard to get a lot of micronutrients in. You know, we're all focusing on our macros with protein, carbs, and and fat. Now we got to add the micronutrients from fruits and vegetables. It's just hard to eat that many servings a day. So uh, I started doing it just to make my life a lot more efficient. I'm getting better gut health and a more uh, durable resistant immune system. So what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food, sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging, all of the things. Again, I do it. It's easy. It's fast. It's quick. Uh, I throw up my shaker usually on my way home from work, drink it. It, it goes down quickly. Uh, and like I said, you get six servings of vegetables a day very easily. Uh, but hey, don't listen to me. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. It's recommended by professional athletes and is trusted by leading health experts such as Tim Ferriss and Michael Gervais. So right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills, supplements to look out for your gut health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to say, give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash London is blue to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Yeah, so I think again, you know, it's the same that that sliding doors moment, you know, giving City that that catapult into, um, you know, finding a, a, an equivalence with us as a club, probably came off the back of of um, Sergio Aguero and has probably enabled them to go and be, you know, the club that they that they have become. You know, as I said, I do think that they are a level above us at the moment, and certainly, you know, if they are going to sign Erling Haaland in the summer, and he and he is able to translate from. You know the, the the Dortmund model of football to something which is going to be a little bit more patient and a little less crash bang wallop. Then that is a, a real kind of statement signing. But Aguero is is probably the the one I'm looking at there. Um, and then on the flip side, it's a Lukaku signing. Um, how yeah, I mean, how, how different do you think this season is if we just we we just don't sign it? Because it's funny, like everyone I know, we were all clamoring for a goal scorer. Um, but 
the, the you account, account or argument. <laughs> you, you weren't clamming for Lukaku though. No, yeah. I, I, I've famously, I say famous like I'm anyone, I told someone I'd rather spend 200 million on Holland than 100 on Lukaku just because of the age and ability to potentially be able to mould and change their game and stuff. Lukaku very much is what he was. But also you spent 72 million on Kai Havertz and he's shown that he is a nine. So, yeah, what are you doing really? And I just feel like yeah. th- there is an argument and I'm not, again, this is, this is the most pro-Werner podcast you'll probably ever hear from me, but I do feel like there was an argument that Werner wasn't going to underperform his XG, uh, his finishing woes and everything like that again to that level. Um, maybe he well would have, but there's an argument that he wasn't going to. And I think it's it's definitely felt like we went back to square one at the start of this season rather than building on the momentum of last season. Um, so I do, I maybe don't think he's as sliding doorsy as the rest, but I do wonder what do you think the season would have looked like if we just carried on that momentum and stayed a high-pressing, mobile yeah. unit? I think... There's there's a couple of things with Lukaku for me. Um, how sort of incongruous he is with the style of play that we were developing at the back end of last season. His signature to me is it's the embodiment of absolutely everything that is wrong with Chelsea when it comes to buying players. Um, and, and that as a statement, as somebody who has such an interest in transfers and recruitment as I do, that, that kind of holding that in your hand as a statement is such a powerful thing. He was the, you know, the epitome of Chelsea being opportunistic in the market, Inter needed money, they needed to sell. Somebody did some simple maths and thought, oh, you know, 30 league goals or whatever it was for Lukaku, put them in his Chelsea team and crash bang wallop, you know, but we're going to be all hot on the heels of Liverpool and, and City. He represents every piece of unintelligent thought that I have ever seen applied in, in recruitment. And, you know, to put it in in sort of proper context here I think you were saying to me basically as soon as we really got linked with him that, that he would not work in this sort of system and that we would have to do effectively a, a tactical rebuild to make the, the the best of what he is good at and even then I think we were both sort of of the same mind that you know the way that teams play Chelsea in the Premier League you're not going to create situations in transition where you will create the kind of space that we've seen you know him have success with at Inter and, and playing for uh, mid-table Premier League teams. You're un- very unlikely to be a Chelsea team that you know, unless you're playing Southampton. You know, you're unlikely to see us play a Premier League game where t- teams willingly defend on the halfway line if they're not City or Liverpool or somebody who is you know a, a top side. The majority of games are going to be, you know, looking for players who have touch, who have uh, you know good movement, who are mobile, agile, can can stretch teams horizontally, you can stretch them vertically, have the ability to create their own chances. These are all things that you do not associate with Romelu Lukaku. You, you, you're you used to seeing him running into big spaces and, and taking advantage of, of, you know, Inter's ability to generate turnovers and move the ball forward at insane pace to give him that, that you know, ability to use his his best traits, you know. Um, so all, all of that kind of as a, as a rationale for, for why I really disliked the move is it, I just felt that it was everything that was wrong with Chelsea in, when it comes to recruitment and making poor decisions, which, you know, hindered the club for the next five years because of the size of the contract, because of the age of the player, um, because of, you know, just the sheer amount of money involved. Um, and secondly, to, to sort of answer your, your main question there, Yaz, it's, 
you know, looking at the back end of last season, I felt Kai Havertz, and I, I know you've you've said similar on this, that he was starting to fill the boots of what a, a number nine for a Thomas Tuchel side could and probably should look like, you know, mobile ability to drop into pockets, has a little bit of a number 10 skill set, but still has the ability to finish, to influence the play, you know, to, to lead the line, to to work, uh, you know, horizontally, to, 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 to create space and, and all these sorts of things that you want to see. Um and the fact that we we've maybe waited until the, you know the last third of the season, I wonder what would have happened if we would have just committed to Havertz as the nine and taken that at hundred million pounds, maybe bought a midfielder, maybe bought a better wide playmaker or somebody more creative up top. Um, Fifty million on Shuamani, maybe you know I'm just going to pull him out of there because I've seen in score tonight, Luis Diaz, fifty million, you know, very arbitrary, you know, figures and whatever. But that hundred million pound on a Shuamani and a Diaz. I think has an absolute ton more impact than a hundred million pound on somebody at the moment who is basically a paperweight. You know, he is sitting on the bench, sitting on his bib, um, you know, making sure that uh, a bib doesn't fly away in the wind. That That is effectively what we are getting out of Lukaku at the moment. And just how much he hinders us in the future, I think could probably tailor my answer here because if we are unable to, to shift him, if we are going to have to figure out again how we utilise him next season um you know we're wasting time you know city and liverpool pulling away from us and we're trying to figure out how to get a player who is absolutely um at odds with the style of the team at odds with the direction of the team at odds with the players around him who is openly being quite competitive in 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 interviews and doesn't necessarily feel like he wants to be here and yet we've got another what 80 million pounds worth of amortization to pay on him over the next four seasons another 250 but it, whatever it is, £250,000, £200,000 a week to pay him for the next four seasons. Um, it, it epitomizes everything that is that I think is the culmination of, of of why, in terms of a new ownership group, why having an overhaul of that recruitment area is going to be so important. So I think if, if I'm looking like from an unsentimental perspective, I think I've probably talked myself into the Lukaku signing as being the one that maybe has irritated me the most and probably represents the 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 worst kind of traits about Chelsea that I don't like. Not saying that if I press the button that we don't sign him and then our recruitment magically turns into this world-class model. But I think everything that we're trying to achieve in the future, even in the short term, is is predicated on changing every single piece of, of thought that we have about signings like Lukaku. So I think... Okay, I'm torn between two now. Now that I've said that, I'm torn between Lukaku and actually the, the Iniesta thing. So the Iniesta one, that's <laughs> nothing, purely, pure no, sentiment. No, nothing nothing hurts like that Iniesta. Yeah. That was and I'll tell you an interesting story. Yeah, so behind me during that game, uh, I was sitting in the, what was it? Uh, East and lower towards the, the Barcelona fans. So I was about 10 yards away from them. And behind me um, was, was Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank actually and uh, like some, some people with him like Jimmy just you know was, was there as a fan um, turning I didn't even know he was there I turned around after the game and just saw him staring in, in sort of disbelief at, at what had happened in that game um, and I remember him saying to me you know that this was he just said that this this was criminal and he sort of looked at me and just shrugged his shoulders and and, and you know it was such a, a kind of, it wasn't even a gut punch. It was it was the, the worst kind of sucker punch to see, you know, a game where, again, you've scored a great goal. You've had a number of very, I think, you know, in the in a VAR age, we might have won that game 16-1 penalties, but a number of penalties turned down. Um, and then Iniesta to, to score, again, fantastic goal at the death. Um, and I think what that 
you know, I, I'm absolutely certain that we would have won the final that season under under Hiddink and, and maybe again in terms of, of how that transitions Chelsea to being a, a European Cup winner team sooner, what that might mean in terms of recruitment, that kind of stuff. It's all, it's all kind of a little bit up in the air, but I felt that that team really did deserve to, to, to win it. But I'm going to stick with my Lukaku answer because I think in terms of Chelsea's future, and yes, you know, changing the past, I appreciate is this sort of the, the main theme of this uh, this section. But I think in terms of changing the immediate future, that the 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 thing that's going to affect us the most as fans over the next couple of years, it would be the Lukaku signing. I think the headline of that needs to be, Joe thinks not signing Lukaku is more important than appointing Pep. And I think that's <laughs> where we'll leave it. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I really like I really like Guardiola. Um, I'm just curious whether there is a little bit of the Bill Belichick's about him that now he doesn't have Lionel Messi that he's not able really or has not really been able to to get a you know an exceptional Bayern Munich team to win the big one. Um, and so far Manchester City have fallen a bit short and he's probably over pepped it a few times. Um, and I just don't know. I don't know whether we would culturally have worked with him. I know that that was sort of the vision, but culturally, I don't know whether Chelsea would have been a peppy kind of team. We're too sort of disliked generally to be a Guardiola team, in my opinion. So I'm curious as to see whether that would have actually worked here. But, you know, he is, you know, he is the probably the best coach that has existed. Um, and certainly that Barcelona team with Messi uh, and and the three best midfielders that I've ever seen play against Chelsea, uh, that that was that was something else. But I, I'm always a little bit, uh, maybe it's me being a little bit of a, a troll here, but I've always been a little bit dubious about him, given that he had uh, so much talent at Bayern and he's obviously got a, a blank checkbook and so much talent at City. And yet um, they are getting closer, but, you know, Tuchel obviously had his number last season. Fair, fair. But yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I hope, I, I'd like to hear people's, own attempts of that thought experiment listening oh yeah as well. yeah it's yeah, yeah. Be I, I think we'll try and collate so people listening if you want to ping them over to Yaz and I I might try and collate like the top four and then we can maybe do a poll and see what their sort of consensus is yeah that'd be good all right mate nice one this has been good yeah yeah it's been great actually yeah no good conversation um but I think that brings together, yeah, it brings to an end the latest Tinker Man number eight. I'm very glad that I've not misnumbered it during the entire podcast here. Um, there'll be more from Yaz and I coming up, obviously, in, in the future. Um, I think we're starting to plan a little bit some of our summer uh, content here. So if there's anything that you are, are dying to to see, uh, any sort of recommendations, then please let Yaz or I know. Obviously, the guys at London is blue. Um, I think we'll certainly be looking at, obviously, transfer-related uh, items maybe will be a little bit more of a deeper dive on on certain players and, and we might be looking at what um, you know what sort of, of, of tactics or style that we might want to see going forward again um, a little bit of a deeper dive over the summer as well so anything in, that's, uh, in that kind of uh, ballpark give Yaz and I a shout but until next time Chelsea fans I will speak to you soon keep the blue flag flying high and yes I'm out take care